Welcome back, everybody. It's CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. We are brought to you by Campus to Canton. Follow them on the Twitter at Campus, the number two Canton. And I'm joined, as always, by the man, the myth, the legend. He makes it all happen here at CFP Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFP Winning Edge. And Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, father of the year. We're ready to rock and roll and go into week 12. We have one other week, then conference championships, and then it is bowl season. Everybody, of course, Army, Navy in there between, but bowl season nonetheless. So we are looking forward to getting some conference championships, wrapping this season up and heading towards bowls at this point here. Uh, before we dive into week 12, Nick, what did you see from week 11? How the numbers go? Uh, four and six for me. Uh, couldn't have been more aggrav- aggravating. Missed a bunch uh, by a point here, a point there. But uh, how was your week 12 or week 11? Excuse me. Uh, numbers wise, the, you know, it, it was one of those weeks. I think we had it maybe it was week, mm, week nine where I said like, hey, if we could do this every week, that's great. You know, mm-hmm. not not the best week we've ever had. But if we hit these benchmarks uh, every week, I would be perfectly happy. Our, our team strength projections were uh, 53.1% against the spread last week. Uh, Talent Edge had a really solid week, 54.7%. Uh, the Prism numbers, which, you know, they had had a, a, a ridiculous week nine, um, was our only uh, projection uh, system that, that came in under 500 last week, but only by, you know, a few percentage points. It was 484 um, And the totals have, have been really solid all year after being right around 500 the last couple of weeks. We hit 57.8%. The all three agree on a favorite uh, was, I think, five and four or four and three, you know, one over 500, which we'll take that. The wrong team favored ended up. Um like four and two, something like that. Uh, we talked about how strange it was that UCF was favored in our projections. Didn't really feel great about it. Well, turns out maybe we underrated. Uh, one of my UCF four I got right. Um, but it's, you know, the, the numbers wise, I think that, uh, you know, like I said, we'll, we'll take that uh, each week. I, I feel pretty good heading into this final stretch of the season. It's unfortunate that injuries are as, as big of a, a part of this as, as they are, but um, a little bit of a fortunate piece of it is that, uh, you know, our, our way of doing things is set up to potentially do a better job of, of uh, accounting for those than, than a lot of the projection systems out there. I put some numbers together on our Campus to Canton Discord and the uh, CGC Winning Edge chat. Um uh, we've mentioned this person before. Andrew Percival is, is uh, put together a uh, set of standings of a lot of projection systems, um, a few dozen. He's, he's got here that he, he looks at all sorts of things, absolute error against the spread, straight up, uh, all, all kinds of different categories. And I was running through it on uh, Sunday and looking at the uh, full season, you know, rankings and, and stacking up against some of the the gold standards in the industry like sp plus and uh fei and and you know espn's uh, football power index and and just a lot of a lot of great really smart people um our uh, absolute error number for team strength would actually be number one 
on this list. Um, our uh, projections against the spread, team strength would be top five, Prism would be top five, and Talon Edge would be top three. So, um, yeah, I'll I'll take it. And you know, it's it's not the very best season we've ever had to date as far as against the spread uh, record and, and things like that. But it's just so far so good. Been been pretty solid across the board. So plenty of time to screw it up. I'm I ah. probably you know we'll get some There's bad karma here for there. taking a yep. taking a victory lap in in week twelve. But um, feel pretty good about what we've what we've put together uh, to date. And you know the football games are pretty good too. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, I, I told you guys TCU was going to play uh, Texas tough, and that's exactly what happened. Although Texas came out with the win, we saw uh, Michigan do nothing but run for uh, the second half or the majority of the second half. Uh, Kansas blew it to Texas Tech. Uh, Miami was in that game against Florida State until Emory Williams got hurt. Uh, and we're going to talk about Miami a little bit here. Uh, Washington held on Iowa, you know, slid for the under. We like that LSU. I mean, good God, Jane Daniels, Lordy, <laughs> what a game. And then, uh, double overtime for, uh, North Carolina and Duke was a lot of fun as well. So Xavier, your thoughts on week 11 before we head to week 12 here. Jaden Daniels, my Heisman winner. I think, uh, I think he has to be the front runner now, right? I just think. For you, so I think Nix is is technically the the favorite. Is he still now. the betting favorite? I, yeah, I, just, I believe so. I, I don't care, man. Yeah, it's no, hey, I like, get like, it. Like, like not necessarily just like he's for you to win the Heisman as a two loss, you know, winner. You have to be as dynamic as he's been this year, and he checked off that box with an almost six hundred total yard game. I mean, that's ridiculous. The kid is putting up astronomical numbers. And I understand that obviously, he, and he's doing this not just because he's good, but because he has to. Like his, his yeah. defense sucks. Like he has to put up this kind of production week in and week out just to have a chance of winning. You know, so I think like for me right now, Jaden Daniels is my Heisman. Um, I will say right now, after the last two weeks, I can firmly now say Georgia is probably playing as the best team in the country. Uh, not to mention they got. Yeah. Two aliens back and the Marius Mims and Brock Bowers both come back against Ole Miss. They're getting healthy on offense. And the two, two and a half weeks that Brock Bowers was not with the team, Carson Beck may have that, that may have really actually helped Carson Beck in the long run. Uh, because his connection with Dominic Lovin and Rara Thomas and company just look like step for step. This guy looks like he's got the ability, and, and Georgia has the ability to win a shootout as well as a defense that knows what its strength is right now. Um, and I think that being its front four, Nick, Nick me, uh, I mean, I, you and I talked about it. They're getting pressure with four. And when you don't have, you know, senior laden linebackers, like they were having to play with, with CJ Allen being a freshman, then being able to do what they did against that offense was elite stuff. Um, Michigan continues to persevere against, I won't say against all odds, but in watching that game last week, I really saw a team persevere through a lot of off the field stuff. And that means a lot to me. Um, you know, obviously, you know, with the sign stealing situation, they could have easily rolled over in, in a hostile environment. Um, and on the flip side, they decided to, to you know, find a way to win, even if it meant taking the ball out of their quarterback's hands for lack of a better term, right? Um, to that point, James Franklin, you do know you have a quarterback, right? Just, just ask. 
because uh, this is now the second game this year where I really felt like the defense was daring you to throw the ball. And you were like, ah, but Nick Singleton, we can just run the football, you know. They'll never see it coming. Like, we don't already have the box lined with eight players. So, I feel like, once again, Penn State was timid. Um, and then on the, and then just around the rest of college football, I felt like the, the teams that, you know, continue to show me that they're the best in the country did so. I think Oregon handled their business against USC. Um, Kyle McCord remembered that he had Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah. Um, and then the teams that continue to just Talk scrape. about Heisman. Well, well, I mean, <laughs> if it wasn't for a couple of weeks where Kyle McCord forgot that he existed, for sure. Um, and then the teams that continue to scrape by, just continue to scrape by. You know, you talk about your Texases, you talk about your Florida States, teams that have had maybe way too many run-ins with teams that they're just downright better than. Um, weren't able to, you know, continue to do so. Um, which makes me like ridiculously excited for championship weekend. And I know I'm getting way too ahead of myself, but dude, all of these teams at the top cannot keep winning like this. And they're and eventually they're gonna have to face somebody that's going to be either of the same ilk or of the same talent. So like y'all scraping by like this, it, it feels like we're gonna get just some real classics during championship weekend. Um, and unfortunately for me, one of those games has already been set. Georgia has to play Bama again. We can never avoid these guys. Um, it feels like every. It feels like no matter how bad they start, they're right there. And I got Bama fans talking about you know Jalen Milrow looks really good, man. You know he looks real solid. Well, he does coming around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean they're but, not lying. They're not making stuff up. <laughs> they're not, they're not lying good. at all. At but all. Georgia. I mean, Georgia you know, good. I've been saying yeah. for three weeks. I've I've been doubting Georgia all season. Honestly, yeah. uh, I am no longer doubting. So. Well, we know what's happening this week, then. Yeah, <laughs> you're 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 cursing them. Uh, we'll we'll see what happens there. But uh, yeah, anything else on week eleven before we go to week twelve here, Xavier? Nope. All right. Well, let's dive in, and we we're gonna start and go quickly through a couple of interesting ACC matchups that uh, could affect the ACC championship game here. Of course, Florida State. Uh, already in there, but North Carolina on the road against Clemson and Clemson is a six and a half point home favorite. 58 and a half is a total in this one. Nick, this is an interesting game. Uh, UNC kind of been up and down Clemson, obviously it, even, you know, I, what did Dabo say yesterday? Dabo was like, yeah, it's uh, it must be November because Jimbo got fired and people are asking me if I'm going to, yeah, uh, Clemson or whatever. Future it's, Texas A&M head coach. Yeah. Or... Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought Texas A&M couldn't get more annoying. Uh, here comes Dabo. Uh, we'll see what happens there. But how do you see this game going? Because, um, you know, North Carolina is up and down. They're very inconsistent. But Clemson also is not. This is not the same Clemson team that we've been accustomed to over the last five, six years. So Clemson's down a little. UNC is definitely beatable. And Clemson has home field advantage. I, I have a hard time not taking them here, but six and a half is maybe a little more than I'm comfortable with. Yeah, I was really surprised that that it was six and a half. Um, we have Clemson favored, but it's it's really close to a toss up. Um, it wouldn't have surprised me if Clemson was favored by, you know, a field goal or less, but getting close to a touchdown, I, I was surprised by that. So, um, our team strength projection, as I mentioned, is about half a point, uh, that, that we've got Clemson favored. So do see 
potentially a, a little bit of an edge there. Uh, do actually have North Carolina having the talent edge and that talent edge model so far this year uh, has, has been the best slightly. So I'm um, interested to, to see if it's able to, to take that all the way to the finish line there, but um, have North Carolina is about a two point talent edge. And, and then the prism model, the stats only model um, has Clemson favored by two. So we definitely get different looks in all three of our projection models at this game, but they do all line up on uh, North Carolina you know, being being uh, having an opportunity to win this game that that they are in striking distance, and and I believe that's true. I mean, you know, North Carolina has Drake May, one of the best and most talented quarterbacks in the country. Um, Tez Walker, him coming back, looks like he didn't miss a beat. Uh, has been not only far from rusty after missing however much in the uh, beginning of of the season due to eligibility just just silliness um but then you know the the fact that uh he was banged up a couple of weeks ago and and then has shaken that off and played incredibly well since then uh nate mccullum also is back after missing a little time earlier uh this year so that wide receiver group which was really really short-handed for a while middle of the season and and you know during the the part of the year where North Carolina lost two games where they really shouldn't have back to back against uh, Virginia and Georgia Tech, where, you know, they definitely had a, a big uh, talent advantage and, and you know, look like the better team on paper. Um, but this team is still very, very talented and, and, you know, has weapons, can score with anybody with Drake May, with Amarian Hampton, who's taken a huge step forward uh, at running back this year as a as a sophomore, has looked like an All-American running back. And though the defense uh, has has struggled definitely in in the month of uh, October and early November, um, you know North Carolina showed some signs early in the year that at least they are no longer one of the very worst defenses in the country. They are right now uh, roughly FBS average in uh, our, our team performance numbers on the defensive side of the ball, almost exactly FBS average. Overall, they're 66th in defensive team performance. Um, they're 55th against the pass and 82nd against the run. So, you know, they're they're definitely vulnerable on that side of the ball. But, you know, Clemson, um, are they going to be able to take advantage of that? Because if you flip things around, offensive, you know, team performance for Clemson, they're 71st overall, 95th passing and 64th uh, rushing. They've had some injury issues of their own. Will Shipley was out for a little bit uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, they've had injuries at the wide receiver position with Antonio Williams missing a significant chunk of time, um, and, and he is still out. They've had you know one of their best offensive linemen, most experienced guys, Walter Parks, go down. Um, so you know Clemson is is uh, certainly not firing on all cylinders on the offensive side of the ball, but this is definitely a strength versus strength scenario. They are top 10 in defensive team performance. They are number two in defensive roster strength, even though Clemson has also had its fair share of injuries on that side of the ball. Uh, that's going to be a really, really tough matchup. So these teams, uh, talent profile-wise, you know, look look similar. Clemson definitely has an edge on the defensive side of the ball. North Carolina has an edge uh, on offense. Um, but there are some fairly even matchups uh or, or you know just some really some really 
intriguing matchups when you pit that that strength versus strength. So I understand Clemson being favored. I have a hard time getting to, you know, six, six and a half. Uh, I do think that this game is is more likely to be, uh, you know, come down to a field goal. But the fact that it is in Death Valley and Clemson has taken a, a step forward the last couple of weeks, um, that that you know, I I think that they certainly can win. But I think North Carolina is definitely going to make it a game. Xavier, your thoughts here? Do you think uh, Clemson walks away with this? North Carolina makes it a game. I mean. Both of these teams are probably a little less than this matchup gives credence to. Yeah, I think what it really comes down to in this matchup in particular is Drake May versus that Clemson secondary. I think those are the two things that have really turned a corner, like Nick mentioned earlier, you know, about his you know connection connection to Tez Watkins and really that that passing offense being able to go after a Clemson secondary. That's been excellent over the last two weeks, right? Picked off Sam Hartman twice, picks off, uh, you know, and then uh, accounts for four interceptions last week, really giving Cade Klubinick short fields, allowing him to get the offense to work, you know, without having to drive the football. Something Clemson's really struggled at this year has been the ability to put together long, sustaining drives. So that defense being opportunistic, you're playing a guy in Drake May who, as much as I love him, he gives me Josh Allen vibes anytime I watch him. It's like he's going to put six throws that make you go how did he put that ball there like that's ridiculous he's also going to have about four throws i'm just like yeah probably should be a bit turnover worthy play right exactly right. absolutely like what are you like why are you throwing that there you had this guy wide open elsewhere why did you double coverage really you know there's always a couple of throws in there that he just believes that his arm talent will make up for the coverage that's on the field and we know that obviously not to be the case so I, I think that if that Clemson secondary can hold serve and really force Drake May to move the ball methodically, force North Carolina to be more of a balanced attack, then obviously I think that's you know in favor of Clemson. On the flip side of that, if their if their aggressiveness gets them cooked, if their aggressiveness forces themselves into long drives themselves on the offensive side of the ball because they can't get off the field, then that's in favor of UNC. Personally, this is a game that I think if Clemson was ranked, nobody would be picking North Carolina. That's how I feel about this game. Uh, I feel like if because you see the talent on display, you know the talent that's on that team, but because North Carolina is ranked, because North Carolina has more wins, people are leaning towards North Carolina to win this ball game. Give me Clemson to win this game. I just feel like North Carolina still hasn't fixed their issues on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I still think they're, they're a team that's susceptible to giving up the big play and you know losing games that they shouldn't lose, and we've seen it twice already this year. So, which would all but knock them out of the ACC championship title picture if they were to lose this game. And I would love nothing more for Clemson than to knock off Notre Dame, obviously Georgia Tech, but then UNC in two of your last three weeks. Give me Clemson um, and give me this long Dabo speech at the end of the year that these kids are going to finish 9-3 and but because they're not 12-0. and You guys think it was a bad year. So, yeah. And then he'll go to AM. Uh, so uh, we'll see. But uh, let's go to... Louisville at Miami here, another big ACC matchup. The line is Louisville by one and a half, but you can get Louisville plus one at MGM right now. And um, the way my guy Thor described this game was Vegas just saying, okay, you guys pick it because some lines <laughs> you can get 
It's minus one. It's plus one. It's kind of, you know, it's almost a pick them here between Louisville and Miami. Um, This game is, uh, it's an interesting one. The total is 46 and a half. Um, I like the under in this game. I also like Louisville and it's mainly because I thought Emory Williams had a great spark for the hurricanes last week, Nick, and uh, they were in that game. And then when he went down, it was like this sail came, the winds came out of the sails for Miami and, you know, Louisville needs this game. I feel like more than Miami. So I think Louisville's going to end up winning this game. How do you see it playing out? It's going to be a tough one either way. That's why the, the line is so small. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, so I thought last week when I heard that Emory Williams was going to get the start on the road against Florida state, the timing seemed very strange to me, like to, to bench your uh, veteran quarterback Though obviously he has been shaky and go with a true freshman in that big of a spot in a rivalry game. Uh, just, just man, something about the timing. I, I didn't like it. However, you know, seeing how the game played out um, looked like a smart move, uh, you know, especially with uh, Emory Williams making sort of that heroic effort to get that first down suffer a really significant injury, unfortunately, that's going to cost him, uh, you know, a lot of time. Sounds like maybe there's a hope he'll be back for, for spring practice, but um, saw a lot of real positive things. And then when Tyler Van Dyke came in uh, cold off the bench, I mean, he looked bad. And so the way our projections work, um, the move to Emory Williams actually hurt Miami's, you know, roster strength numbers, their team strength numbers, because our, our projections still see Tyler Van Dyke as, you know, kind of what he was in uh, 2021 when he looked like a you know future NFL draft pick and and the guy who we spent uh, however long it was, a few days or a week, uh, speculating that he might end up at Alabama for 2022, right? Um, he hasn't, he certainly didn't look like that guy uh, on, on Saturday in the, in the fourth quarter. And you know, I think right now, because we did make the move, obviously, based on the the Williams injury, put Van Dyke back in the you know, starter spot in our uh, depth chart projections. That, again, boosted Miami's rating to, to the point where, as we talked about several times this year, they're, they're probably a little bit overrated. You know, haven't haven't quite uh, played up to the level of their uh, talent, even though a lot of the underlying numbers still are pretty good for a six and four team, you know, they're 18th in team performance, they're top 20 defensively, top 30 on offense. Um, but you know, what, what our eyes are telling us and have at times, uh, for years with Miami is that, you know, this team is, is, uh, probably underachieving a little bit going up against a Louisville team that, you know, looked like a, a sneaky good team coming into the year, but I didn't expect that they were going to be nine and one. I didn't expect that if, you know, they were going to win this game, they would have a spot in the ACC title game uh, wrapped up. Um, but, you know, Jeff Brom home run higher uh, when it happened and certainly has played out that way so far this year, the way that they've made it work with as many incoming transfers as they've, 
you know, rebuilt this team with on both sides of the ball, you know, not just starters and, and, you know, plenty of guys throughout the two deep. It's, it's really, really impressive uh, what they've done. They played like a top 10 team in team performance, top 25 on offense, both paths, both passing and rushing. Uh, we've seen moments where, you know, Jack Plummer's played really well. We've seen times when he hasn't in those instances, it seems like Jawar Jordan and Isaac Garendo have stepped up. You know, Jordan's been, banged up a bit and and that's been a little bit of an issue but when he's been banged up seems like maybe Plummer steps up and and you know the, like I said Garendo Jamari Thrash looked like the next great Jeff Brom wide receiver in September he's been injured and you know hasn't been as productive since but somebody always it seems like steps up and this Louisville team um has been able to get it done for more far more often than not other than the weird trip to pit where they lost a game where they you know probably shouldn't have um this louisville team's just been just been solid you know the the really really impressive win against notre dame uh the the <laughs> blowout win uh against virginia tech who's the other team that's also in this acc uh title race picture still um but but this louisville team's just you know they've been They've earned it. They've been the best team other than, you know, a slip up here and there. And and they found ways to win ugly sometimes. The last week, last Thursday against Virginia was one of those where the second half just didn't look didn't look great. But, you know, this this team's found a way to get it done Uh, going on the road to Miami. That has tightened things a little bit as far as, you know, the odds makers and, and the market, I'm sure. Um, and our projection, we've got Miami favored. So when this line was officially posted on Tuesday to our, our the, you know, the official uh, Vegas Insider uh, consensus line that we've used for the last six years or whatever, um, we had it at Louisville uh, favored by one and a half. So this is technically a wrong team favored scenario. Uh, Miami has about a five point talent edge. And the prism projection is is almost uh, a coin flip. Louisville's favored in that one by less than a quarter of a point. So um, we don't see much of an edge on the total. We are technically on the over, but it's you know forty seven and a half is our number compared to the forty six and a half that was the official on uh, on Tuesday. So you know personally, I don't see a lean one way or the other on this one. I could. You know, this is one of those games where I could see it going in any direction. I could see either of these teams finding a way to win in a route. You know, sometimes we we see an unexpected Miami, uh, just really impressive performance. They could put it all together this week and and beat Louisville. Um, but we've also seen a Miami team roll over and and just completely lay an egg. And so I could see Louisville going in there and winning. You know, thirty five seven. That, that's within the realm of the possibilities. Um, it could also come down to, you know, what our, our actual final score projection is, is 25-22. Sounds like a last-second field goal one way or the other. That that could happen as well. So I don't, I don't have a great read on it personally because we've seen both of these teams succeed in a variety of ways. We've seen them uh, either, you know, fall short Miami more, more than Louisville, obviously, but uh, look, look very vulnerable in multiple ways as well, but also both teams have lost games that, that they shouldn't. So um, man, I don't know. I, I, I don't personally have a lean one way or the other. 
I'll cross my fingers and, and hope we get to put this one in the wrong team favored, <laughs> uh, you know, part of the the ledger. Um, but yeah, this this game to me, <laughs> uh, cutting my rambling short and just say no idea. I don't know. Uh, Z- Xavier, uh, do you have a stronger opinion one way or the other in this Miami and Louisville game? I mean, uh, I, like I said, uh, I think it, it feels like it means more uh, to Louisville for me, so I'm I'm gonna stick with Louisville. I have no clue. Like, and, and the reason as to why is because both of these teams have won games te- seemingly in spite of pedestrian quarterback play. Like Jack Jack Plummer has not been good by any stretch of the imagination over the last four games of you know of their season, and, and I mean like his numbers over the last four games are just. In some ways, just disgusting. Uh, even in the wins, you know, you, you they beat Duke twenty-three to nothing, and his stat line was eleven of sixteen for one hundred seventeen yards. That's it. Like, I just don't know if at this point Louisville can continue to win without Plummer taking that step as a quarterback and being an actual threat that defenses have to consistently respect. On the flip side of that, I'm looking at Tyler Van Dyke, who essentially got benched for a freshman last week, and whether or not Miami can win in spite of his, you know, pedestrian play pretty much since the A&M contest, right? So for me, I'm just, at this point, I want to say Louisville will continue to do so because they've been able to win in spite of their quarterback play at the highest level. But at the same token, if if either one of these quarterbacks wake up, it could be a blowout in, in the direction of either team, right? If Tyler Van Dyke can all of a sudden put it together, if Jack Plummer can be less, can be less turnover prone and put the ball in the end zone, then yeah, like, to Nick's credit, it could be a 24 to six kind of game. Um, but give me Louisville. I, I think once again, they have at a higher level been able to play in spite of Plummer's performances. Um, and all it, all he really has to do to keep the game seemingly for to, to keep the game um, close is as long as he plays clean, he'll, they'll be fine. Right. As long as he can keep the turnovers down, even if he's not throwing a bunch of touchdowns, like I said, I just alluded to a game where they beat Duke they shut them out. He didn't throw for a touchdown pass, but he also didn't throw for an interception. So if he can be if he can play clean, I feel like Louisville has shown the ability to win those kind of games and has just consistently done so. On the flip side, I feel like Tyler Van Dyke, kind of like I said last week, Miami needs its quarterback to finally start playing at a higher level because they just have not played to the same level as Louisville has, even when their quarterback doesn't give them a good performance. Um and I feel like last week you saw that. You saw Emory Williams play better, and Miami in turn, in my opinion, probably played one of its best games of the year, um, even within a loss. I think it played extremely well for, for all four quarters and kept themselves in that ball game and gave themselves a chance to win at the end there. So give me Louisville here, um, which would mean Louisville versus Florida State in the ACC championship game. Uh, man, this isn't Jameis versus Lamar Jackson, though. Uh, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> so give me give me Louisville to win this game. I think they've obviously got more to play for, and that's been something psychologically with Miami that I've kind of continued to see on tape. And when I watch their when I watch them play, is if they are not playing for anything, the heads drop, the attitudes different. Last week they played like a team who had an opportunity to knock off the number four team in the country, a team within their own state on the road. They played like it. They played hungry. Now obviously they have a chance to knock you know, to knock off a, a top 10 opponent, but will there be an emotional and mental letdown this week after 
losing to your rival that you get up for every year, regardless of whether or not you're six and three going into that game or you're zero and nine. So give me Louisville to win this game and just kind of keep, I don't want to say I keep rolling on because it's been more of a sputtering on, but you know, winning nevertheless. Do enough to win. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, this is the Steelers of college football right here. Surviving in yeah, uh, surviving in advance. That's right. Uh, let's get into some ranked on ranked action here. Utah, who is currently number 22 on the road at number 17, Arizona. Uh, didn't think that that was going to happen at the start of the year. My uh, my guy, Chad, who's a big U of A fan, texted me that right before we started. He, he said, who would have thought it'd basically be a pick em between Utah right. and Arizona here. Right. And once it, this is very, a very similar line. Our official line on it is Utah by a point and a half, but yesterday you could have got uh, Arizona minus a point. So it just depends on the book you're looking at here. The total here is 44 and a half, which is also strange because if you watch Arizona play, you say way over, but then you look at Utah and you go, well, no one's scoring on Utah <laughs> and Utah's not scoring either. Much. And Utah <laughs> well, is also not scoring much. So, uh, Actually, it, but last week, I, I don't know. I'm interrupted. Right, right. So anyway, <laughs> how do we see this game playing, Nick? Because this is not a game I'm putting into my stuff. I, I don't I don't have – it's going to go one way or the other, so I don't want to look like a silly goose picking one side. <laughs> I, I feel like this is going to be, you know, like a 13-3 to Utah win or a 45-35 uh, Arizona win, something crazy. So – uh, with that being said, I'm sure it'll be 27-24 now, but uh, your <laughs> thoughts here on this Pac-12 matchup? Well, it'll it'll be uh, 25-24, actually. Uh-huh. Uh, that's, what, <laughs> that's, what, that's what we've got. It's, it's basically the exact same situation as Louisville and Miami as far as the numbers go, but on even tighter margins. Um, we technically have Arizona favorite, uh, but by half a point. Um, the talent edge goes to Utah by one and a third of a point. Uh, and the prison projection is, is, uh, Utah by less than half a point. So clear as mud. Right. We're, we're technically all three do agree on the Arizona side, but two of them have Utah favored by less than the, you know, one and a half. Uh, official spread that we're going to be grading this again. So um, it's it's a very, very similar uh, scenario uh, across the board. And the thing that just popped into my head a little bit about Utah, because we've talked about Utah, it seems like six weeks in a row uh, in, in these. So if anybody's been listening along with us, I will try my best not to to repeat everything that I've said before. But the thing that just popped in my head was that meme of uh, – you know, somebody was saying like, why do you give me the, the toughest battles or why do you yeah, give me the toughest yeah. battles? And it's <laughs> Jesus. And he's like, how are you still alive? That's, that's yeah. kind of Utah. <laughs> um, just the, the, uh, you know, that this team is seven and three, you know, they, they've, they obviously have come up short plenty, but they are a competitive team week in and week out, despite all the injury issues that they have, uh, despite all the, you know, how they have to get creative to, to find ways to win, to find ways to stay in games. Uh, you know, they Washington wasn't ever really able to to pull away last week. Um, Utah was able to uh, put up some offense against a, a vulnerable Washington defense last week. But, you know, to your point, which you said originally, uh, how are they going to be able to score? Because this Arizona defense has been 
legitimately good. I mean, there was a there was a while there where uh, you know, thinking from a, a CFF perspective, right? Because uh, you you go through and and you think, oh, they're playing Arizona this week. You know, need to make sure that guy's in my lineup because uh, this time last year, Arizona was one of the the worst defenses in the country, and they're not top 25, but they've made a, a ton of progress. They're 44th in defensive team performance overall right now. Um, they are 54th against the pass, 50th uh, against the run. And kind of like Utah showed some offensive, uh, you know, real potential last week. Arizona uh, against Colorado looked a little shaky on defense, but I mean, we've seen Arizona just play really, really good defense. And, and we've seen, offensively maybe not quite the uh prolific passing attack i think we expected coming into the year with you know ted mcmillan and jacob cowling one of the better wide receiver combos in the country and Jaden delora had shown some real promise of course you know delora's now the backup uh seems like he's he's fully healthy but noah fafita's kind of solidified that position and, and arizona's played really really well under his direction they got Michael Wiley back and, and healthy, but he hasn't really played very much because Jonah Coleman has, has really emerged. Um, similarly to Fafita, where he's just kind of, you know, legit, kind of solidified that running back position, even though they, they do rotate quite a few guys in um, uh, at, at that spot. But Coleman has been good. He's been productive. And, and so Arizona's, you know, they're 10th in offensive team performance. They're ninth rushing, which, you know, I, I expected the strength of this unit to be uh, the passing attack and, and they're still dangerous uh, throwing the football, but they're, you know, 36th in passing offensive team performance. So um, this Arizona team has, has been really, really impressive. Uh, the way that they have uh, built uh, slowly but consistently under Jed Fish. You know, I was a little skeptical uh, of him as a first-time head coach, but he immediately showed some real progress on the recruiting trail, and and that has paid off, and, and they have become a better team legitimately. So um, I know we don't want to look too far ahead for, for our Arizona fan listeners, uh, but Jed Fish's people are, are, I'm sure, getting some phone calls. Uh, about some of these jobs that have have already opened, which we did skip over a little bit, but we'll, we'll have plenty of time <laughs> to get get into coaching carousel stuff. But uh, I would expect that UCLA is is going to be in touch with Arizona or with uh, Jed Fish's people if they haven't already uh, real soon. But man, just a just a really really impressive job that he and that coaching staff have done. Um, to overcome the injuries on offense, very similar to what Utah's done, but also the the real step forward that they've made on defense is is, is very impressive. So uh, this is yet another game where I personally don't have a really really you know strong lean. Our numbers like Arizona, but by very very tiny margins, and this seems like another another game that really could come down to that last drive, uh, maybe a, a field goal or or you know who's going to be able to to lead that which which backup quarterback that we didn't expect to be in this position a few months ago um, is going to be the one to, to lead his team to that uh, game-winning drive. We'll see. We'll find out. It should be a fun one. Xavier, do you have a big pull one way or the other between uh, U of A and Utah here? Well, I was hugely on Washington to, to really, you know, I think blow by 
a Utah team that I felt like couldn't keep up with them. Um, and Kyle Whittingham, as he always does, when you doubt that his team can do anything, they force, you know, Washington to go to play a game um, and, and really force that, you know, at one point I was like, mm, is Washington going to pull this out? Um, <laughs> but I, I think with this game in particular, and Nick alluded to it, I, I do think that Washington's defense was was really susceptible last week uh, to the explosives. I just feel like Arizona would have, would have seen that on tape and gone, okay, cool. Well, we know they can kind of hit the explosives. Let's stop them from doing that, make them go the length of the field, and I think we'll be okay. Um, and I don't see why they can't be. Um, on top of that, to, to, to what Nick said about, you know, UCLA being in contact for Jed Fish, they might also be in contact for Jane Delora. I don't know who's going to enter the portal out of the two of those guys, but there's only one quarterback position. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think Arizona is also playing their best football at the right time. Um, and that is going to lead to me picking them in this game. I think Utah is, you know, is finding ways to be competitive, but that's really what they're doing. They're being competitive. They're not, they're not finishing the job. Um, how I feel like they probably will with the cam rising. So give me Arizona here. I think their defense is playing better. You know, the acquisitions and the off season of guys like Justin Flo are really starting to finally show their show, you know, prove dividends. I feel like their offense is also, more of a balanced effort than what I saw last season um, and in early parts of this year where I felt like it was, you know, going to have to be the Jane Delora show in some regard. Um, and I, I just feel like this is a team that, man, if you could give me this form of Arizona to start the season would have possibly been in the Pac-12 title, uh, title uh, conversation. Like they're playing that good of football right now. And on the flip side, I think Utah is, is finally coming down from the highs of earlier this year. And at the end of the day, look, we all knew that Utah at some point would hit that proverbial wall. Um, we didn't know when it would happen necessarily, but we knew it would happen. Um, and in their last three games, you know, or, or you know, they're, they're two and two in their last four. Um, and we, and we kind of figured at some point they, 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 they were going, this was going to happen. So let's try talk, uh, tack on another one, um, which will, you know, behoove Colorado fans. Cause that means they'll be pissed off when they, when they play them next week at the end of the year. And the last thing you want is a pissed off Kyle Whittingham team. So, uh, give me Arizona to win this ball game. All right. I I did want to mention something just real quick. Did see a mm-hmm. note here in the in the uh, campus to Canton CFF uh, Slack channel from Nate Marquise who mentioned uh, Jaquindon Jackson only had one carry in the second half last week. Um, that escaped me. So uh, said that perhaps uh, you know that it, that it is reasonable to think maybe he. Reaggravated uh, uh, potential ankle in- injury that he had been dealing with. Uh, so something to watch. I, I hadn't made a note, hadn't mentioned that in our team profile, so I will update that now. But um, something to to keep in mind potentially that that Utah, as they often are, are, are you know even more banged up. All right, let's go over to the SEC number one Georgia on the road at number eighteen Tennessee. The line that we have is Georgia by 10 and a half, 58 and a half is the total in this game. Uh, Nick, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like Georgia is going to be tough to beat even on the road. Um, It seems like they are really peaking right now. And they had that thing in the beginning of the year where they were kind of sleepwalking through the first half. I think that's gone. I think Tennessee's in for a tough fight here. How do you see this game going? Oh yeah, I'm I'm fully 
convinced now. Georgia's Georgia's Georgia again. Uh, they are playing like the best team in the country right now. I mean, they're they're still fourth in our power rankings. They're fourth in um, roster strength. They're fourth in overall team performance. But uh, they have really closed the gap on Michigan and Ohio State, who have been uh, that one and two spot for uh, quite a while. Um, and then Oregon's at, at number three, and you know Georgia uh, still has that zero in the loss column that, that Oregon doesn't. So um, this team is is coming together, playing its best football. Um, it was really interesting to me that you know I said three weeks ago or whenever it was that when they played Florida, that it it really seemed to be their best performance of the season uh, altogether. Um, and that was without Brock Bowers. And then, you know, they, they certainly didn't look dominant against Missouri, but beat a really, really solid Missouri team, top 10 in the playoff rankings this week, uh, and a team that just, you know, blew out Tennessee uh, last week, 36-7. That one, that one was incredibly impressive. Um, and Georgia found a way to win that one. And, and you know, the trip to Neyland Stadium is certainly going to be tough, always is. But this Georgia team really is starting to look um, much closer to unbeatable uh, than than you know they have at any point so far this year, and and a lot closer to the the two national championship teams that that we've seen the last couple of seasons than anything I had seen you know in September or or October. So, man, I'm I'm convinced now. So maybe it's maybe it's time <laughs> we're going to have Tennessee a, a sneak attack. Yeah, and and so. <laughs> Uh, we've, we've previewed Georgia the last few weeks cause they've been on this very tough stretch and I don't really have much new to say, and it's not going to shock anybody that, uh, our projections say what they do, even though, you know, our numbers certainly respect Georgia. I think, um, they're still not quite seeing Georgia as, as a dominant unbeatable team. And so when they're a double digit, uh, favorite on the road against a top 25 team and conference rival. Um, our numbers can't quite get there. We do have Georgia favored by eight and a half or more in all three projection models. Um, almost 10, get it to over nine and a half in talent edge, uh, but just can't quite get to, to 10 and a half in Knoxville. So I understand that. I mean, Tennessee is still top 20 in our power rankings. As I mentioned, they're 15th in overall team performance top 25 in roster strength. Um, the defense is still playing like a top 25 defense on the whole, even though last week, you know, really, really uh, struggled to stop Cody Schrader and, and that Missouri offense. Um, and then, you know, offensively, uh, this Tennessee offense is, as we've talked about before, been a little bit disappointing. Uh, you know, certainly expected more of a top 10 uh, type offense, even with the losses that they suffered personnel-wise for Tennessee. Maybe that was just too much optimism on my part. Uh, probably should have seen some of this coming. But they're still solid, but 31st on offense, 25th rushing, 28th passing. Jalen Wright's had a really solid season, but um, he was really kept in check last week against Missouri. Uh, Joe Milton, of course, has is, is, uh, not come close to the ceiling I – you know, thought he had coming into the year. Uh, a lot of people had that one pegged that that uh, I was again too optimistic on. Um, 
but Tennessee's been, you know, like a lot of the teams that that uh, we discussed have had plenty of injury issues that I think have played a, a bit of a role. We finally saw uh, you know, a nice touchdown catch from Dante Thornton, and he suffers a season-ending injury uh, on the hit in the, in the end zone. So uh, that's that's a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, par for the course for, for what we've seen in some cases for Tennessee uh, personnel-wise. They just haven't been fully healthy all at once and, and haven't quite all clicked all at the same time. So they could bounce back and, and you know, take advantage of uh, what I'm sure is going to be a huge, raucous crowd, rivalry game, um, you know, an opportunity for, for this Tennessee team to do something really special. Um, but man, right now, Georgia just looks so good. It's, it's really hard for me to, uh, have that, that same, uh, optimism that I had the the last three or four weeks, it's been beaten out of me, you know, (laughs) that, that, that I, I was like, yeah, Georgia's going to lose. Georgia's going to lose. I don't think Georgia's going to lose anymore. So, um, we have this as, as being a single digit game, not a double digit game. That's fine. That certainly could happen. But man, Georgia looks pretty close to unbeatable right now. So it's hard for me to to think that there's a, a real shot at, at Tennessee pulling off an upset here. Yeah. And to peel back the curtain a little bit, Nick did text Xavier and I. Yeah, I think my Georgia losing a game prediction is probably dead in the water on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. So uh, not a surprise here. You say that uh, Xavier, anything different uh, than what Nick said? Or are you just like, hey, look, Georgia looks good. They're the best team in the country doesn't really matter who they play, even if it's a good Tennessee team. It just feels like right now, and this is something we talked about probably three or four weeks ago, that we just felt like Georgia was – I said I felt like Carson Beck was turning a corner. I felt like Georgia itself was turning a corner. Um, and the scariest part about Georgia, really, as a as a fan of Georgia, watching them, what feels so un, un, unnerving if you're an opponent right now, is that you feel like they can win – Dirty, they can win ugly, and they can win in a shootout, which is what Georgia has never really had, even with the last two national championship teams. We talked about it last year. We were like, man, if Ohio State offense gets to go and can Georgia, does Georgia have, you know, the dogs, no pun intended, to, to run with those guys, right? And I'm watching this, you know, I'm, I'm not only watching for myself, but I'm, I'm listening to fans, listening to people, you know, who are in and around the program. And I'm watching the Ole Miss game, and Ole Miss – First drive goes right down, scores. And everybody in the stadium was like, okay, like we've got a good enough offense to do the same thing. And that's probably, I think, the scariest thing that if you're playing a Georgia team right now, that's what they have is they have not only a good enough offensive line, but a quarterback that feels confident. Probably the deepest wide receiver room that Georgia's had maybe in my lifetime, um, to be honest with you, uh, from top to bottom. Maybe not necessarily a high-end guy like A.J. Green or a George Pickens, but from Ladd McConkey on down, it's like, Everybody that can catch that football can go and take it to the crib. Um, and so I just feel like right now when you watch Georgia, you go offensively, this is probably one of the best offensive teams Georgia's ever had. I mean, that's without having really, in my opinion, a real run, a real RB1, um, but just having really, comp, you know, complimentary football everywhere. Um, if you're, if you're, if you're Tennessee, you're really hoping that the, the Knoxville Juju gets to Carson Beck. Like that's, that's, I, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to say that, you know, Tennessee has this underlying chance of victory if both teams just play their normal games. You're really hoping that Joe Milton can put together an Orange Bowl type performance. And you're really hoping that Carson Beck finally succumbs to uh, an SEC road environment. 
Um, and if that's not the case, if that doesn't happen on Saturday, then you're looking at a, in my opinion, you're looking at a blowout. I just don't see a team in, in Tennessee that's one playing confidently right now. When you watch them play against Missouri, Missouri got whatever they wanted, like genuinely whatever they wanted. And that was a personal game for both teams. I don't know if you guys saw it, uh, but when Eli Drinkwitz uh, sh- uh, shook Heupel's hand at the end of the game, uh, he was like, we stand on business here at, at Missouri and then walked away. He, he That game was personal, 100% personal for Missouri. And they took those boys to the woodshed, uh, which is why you got that really cute design play to Luther Burden when they were up with like a minute, up three scores with a minute to go. And they were like, Run it up a little bit more. So <laughs> I, I think right now Tennessee's made their bed. They have to lie in it now. And unfortunately for them, that's going to probably finish the round of an eight and four season. Um, and a lot of the hype that we came into the year hearing about Tennessee as a team, as it feels like many Tennessee teams do, they fall either just short or in this case, the, the chinks in the armor that everybody told them about and they overlooked like Joe Milton's passing, you know, have come to fruition. So Give me Georgia here. Um, I think, like I said, I think Georgia, if they play their regular game, they play the game that they've been playing, should win this game pretty handedly. Um, you know, Knoxville is still a crazy environment, and it's another check in Carson Beck's uh, list of things to do. You know, another huge SEC road test uh, that he has to pass for me for to be one of those guys that if, if he comes back next year, which all accounts seem like he will, want to be one of those top three to seven guys in the country. Yeah, I mean – uh, take your team to the national title, and all of a sudden you go from, mm, I don't know, to Heisman contender yeah. at Georgia. So it's uh, going to be a fun game for sure. Let's go to the Big 12 where Kansas State is on the road against Kansas. And uh, this is a- an interesting game. It's 21 versus 25 here. K-State is a 7.5 point, or excuse me, a 9.5 point uh, road favorite, 56.5 is the total here. Nick, how do you see K-State versus Kansas playing? Because Kansas obviously had the look ahead and they dropped the one to Texas Tech last week. So um, how do you see this one going? Yeah, this one this one is, uh, there, there are definitely some moving parts here. Uh, Jalen Daniels being out for the last however many weeks and and it sounds like probably is is done. I mean, I don't think he's practicing last I heard. Um, But then Jason Bean going down last week and, uh, you know, Kansas was, was playing a quarterback that to my knowledge, yeah, I could not, I could not find his like recruiting profile. So uh, that, you know, we talk about how some of these quarterback changes impact um, our uh, projections. I mean, that, that's a big drop off from, Jalen Daniels at the beginning of the year, all conference caliber player, 95 in our individual player ratings to a freshman walk on unrated uh, player who's a 63.75. So that's a, you know, that that's a Mm. big hit to the uh, to the roster numbers. And and Kansas already, for the most part, is operating at a, a disadvantage against most Big 12 opponents. They've they've really done a great job building you know, through production, because we do add that into the mix. Um, it's not just raw recruiting uh, data, but, but you know, they've scored with some guys like uh, Devin Neal, local products, turned out to be one of the best running backs in the country. After really getting off to a slow start last week against Texas Tech, he finally broke through. Um, but, you know, they, they have uh, been productive with guys like 
Bean and Daniels and Luke Grimm, who's been a little bit banged up. You know, Quentin uh, Skinner and Lawrence Arnold have been good this year, uh, both wide receivers. Mason Fairchild is, you know, a, a, an all-conference caliber tight end. They've got a an experienced offensive line that grades as number two in the country in our O-line performance ratings right now. So, you know, offensively, Kansas is, is uh, still, I think, got potential, but I wonder if they're just running out of, of uh, you know, time a little bit. And it sounds like there's a chance that Jason Bean is going to be able to play in this game. Um, some of the early line movement. So according to Vegas Insider, this one opened uh, for them as a consensus line at six and a half. It got up to nine and a half, as, as you mentioned. That was our official number. It since has come down to eight and a half. But uh, I believe on Sunday there were some books that had it as, as close to four. So that it's early thing that there's so much line movement this late in the season. Sure. Yeah, a lot of it well, is injuries and stuff, obviously, Kansas right. with, you know, uh, Jason Bean. But, yeah, a lot of movement, uh, and not just in this game, but more movement than usual for this late in the season, I feel like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I usually don't pay as much attention to that as, as uh, you know, <laughs> there are a lot of really smart people who, who uh, do, and, and it, it really pays off for them. I mostly, you know, get the sheets updated, mark down what the numbers are on Tuesday and don't really think about it again until the games get started. But, um, you know, you can, you can pick up some clues potentially on uh, what the, the buzz with the rumors, what, you know, whispers so-and-so practice today, look good. Sounds like he's ready to go. Or, you know, actually, no, I still not practicing this week. Doesn't look great. Game time decision, probably lean doubtful. I don't know, you know, I, the the early look at this, um, thinking about that line movement, there's probably some pessimism for uh, Jason Bean being back, but also Kansas maybe just running out of steam a little bit. Uh, K-State, we've talked about in the past, um, you know, analytically, they grade out almost as a top 10 team. They're 11th in team performance overall, top 15 on offense, top 25 on defense. and I mean, they're just, they're just solid. You know, they've weathered some injuries, had Will Howard miss some time a little bit, had Treshawn Ward miss some time a little bit, um, have, have had some injuries to the linebacker position and, and, you know, and secondary a little bit as well, but they are seemingly to me uh, getting healthier. You know, Howard's back fully, uh, you know, playing full time. Um, Treshawn Ward is back and, and, you know, splitting carries with DJ Giddens. Ben Sennett's been, you know, questionable off and on. Uh, but, but he looks back and, and ready to go. So, uh, man, you know, the, it just seems like health wise, this is a scenario where the gap is, is growing a little bit. Um, K State getting healthier, probably the better all around team, more solid, can, can, you know, sustain a, an injury here or there, maybe a little bit better, has a little bit more depth. And Kansas, especially at that key quarterback position, is just down now, you know, to at least its second uh, guy. And, and if he's able to play, might not be 100%. And then they're turning to, you know, like you said, a walk-on uh, unrated recruit who, you know, was was on the wrong end of a 16 13 
upset yeah, loss at the hands of yeah. Texas Tech last week. So um, a lot of signs are pointing toward, you know, K-State should be favored in this one, should be favored by uh, a touchdown or more. Our, our projection, and that does include uh, being not as the starter. So I did want to give the the you know the best look at what an undermanned Kansas would be. We're still uh, if we're looking against the spread, how we grade against the spread, still on Kansas plus that nine and a half. Um, but the team strength projection is is right around a, a touchdown. Uh, Talent edge is uh, at four because this game is at, is in Lawrence, so there is a little bit of an adjustment there for home field advantage. And then the the prism model, the stats only model, which doesn't care anything about the injuries, um, has it at, at right around seven and a half. So uh, it's a rivalry game in state. I, I, you know, certainly am, am hesitant to underestimate Kansas, um, but things are really lining up. To me, seems like this is this is an opportunity for for K State to go in and and pick up a win and and. I I kind of wish we were on the K State side of things. I, I think that this is a double digit K State win. Xavier, are you thinking K State too because of the issues that Kansas has That's at it. the QB position, or are, do you think maybe Kansas gets Bean back and they can make a make this game a fight here? I'm I don't want to play the if game with that one because I just don't know. Like right. we we at this point we have to assume that Bean, even if he does play, isn't going to be 100. percent um, on the flip side of that, you've got a Kansas State team that, if they win on Saturday, I believe if they win their last two games, are in the Big 12 championship game, even with the fact that Oklahoma State has beaten them already. That doesn't apparently that doesn't matter in the Big 12. I was reading up the scenarios, and according to what I read, uh, Kansas State would, if it was a three-way tie between uh, Kansas State, Iowa State, and uh, Oklahoma State. Kansas State gets gets through, which even though Kansas State has lost to Oklahoma State, wouldn't matter in this case. It doesn't matter in the Big 12, apparently. So um, Kansas State has a ton to play for, right? Has an opportunity to, uh, you know, get back to the uh, the Big 12 championship game. And, and a team that, once again, I think, you know, barring the, the, the way they lost to Texas, has hit their stride in the second half of the year. You know, since their loss to Oklahoma State, they have not only beat people outside of the Texas game, but beat people handedly, right? beat Texas Tech by 17, beat TCU by 38, shut out Houston and put a 41 spot on their heads, beat Baylor by 34. Like, Kansas State is playing some of their best football right now. Obviously, that that, that comes with Will Howard doing what he's doing at the quarterback position. But understanding that they have everything to play for, you know, their, their, uh, their ability to go back to the Big 12 championship is still there. They're going to be hungry. And, and, and this is a wounded animal. Uh, that, that they're going to be playing on Saturday, but you can't overlook that. It's still an in-state rivalry. It's still, a, you know, it's still a big game. Obviously, it'd be a ranked versus ranked matchup if Kansas hadn't have lost in the manner that they did last week. But I still think that Kansas has the fuel in this game to do what they need to do. Uh, they realize what's on this, what's a, what's um, in stake uh, for the last two games of their season. I think they'll handle business. Uh, so give me Kansas, to, excuse me, Kansas State to win this game. Uh, and do it pretty handedly. I, I love the way Will Howard's been playing the back half of the year. Um, even in the Texas game, I thought he played pretty well. They just were unlucky to lose that ball game. Uh, he threw four touchdowns and one interception in that game. Outplayed Malik Murphy. Uh, I believe that was Malik Murphy's first game. 
Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, I, I, so I really like this the way that this Kansas State team has figured themselves out offensively. And I think has an opportunity here, you know, to to find themselves in the Big 12 championship game and possibly get themselves some revenge um, against a Texas team who, like we talked about earlier in the episode, has been kind of skating along a little bit um, at, at, during this stretch of the year, obviously dealing with certain injuries, but, you know, skating nevertheless. So give me Kansas State in this one. Yeah, and it gets way better with, uh, you know, Jonathan Brooks done for yeah. the year for Texas, yeah. too, speaking of skating. Uh, the last game we have up here is Washington at Oregon State. And Oregon State is actually a two-and-a-half-point home favorite here. 63-and-a-half is a total, and Xavier just talked about skating. Uh, is this where the rubber meets the road for the Huskies here, Nick? Because it, it seems like everybody I've seen is picking the Beavers. Well, so I, it, it looks like a really tough spot for Washington, right? Um, this is a, a Washington team that uh, obviously, you know, to, to state the obvious, uh, still undefeated, still very much in the mix for a playoff spot, even though they were fifth in the, the rankings. Uh, that would work itself out you would have to assume with the, the Michigan Ohio state game um, if Washington wins, seems like they're in, you know, if they, if they go and they're sitting at 13 and 0 pack 12 champs, seems like they're, they're going to be in, but they've also seemed like a very vulnerable team. Washington is still ninth in our power rankings very early in the season. I was really excited when Washington got into the top 10 because it's like, all right, yes, finally our, our, you know, numbers are starting to respect this Washington team that looks like a legitimate contender. Well, they've been sitting in the top, you know, six, seven, top five now in the uh, the polls, the, the playoff rankings. And so we're on the low end of, of you know, Washington, and they, they don't quite stack up quite as well, you know, position by position, unit by unit. The big one that jumps out to me is, is uh, Washington's run defense. They're 104th in our rushing defensive team performance that drags their overall defensive team performance number to uh, 57th um, you know, success rate against their 109th in the country uh, EPA per play yards per play allowed their middle of the pack nationally. So, you know, this is a Washington team that at least on paper and in certain defensive numbers um, doesn't look like a national championship team offensively. I mean, they they continue to play really really well on the whole. I mean the the season long numbers team performance wise top five on offense top five rushing which is a little bit surprising um, since you know everything we we know about Michael Penix and Roman Dunze and uh, you know uh, uh, Jalen Polk who's had such a huge year somewhat unexpectedly you know really stepping up and and being a three headed monster in that receiving group when Jalen McMillan's been healthy and unfortunately he hasn't been healthy the last month or so uh sounds like he's trending in the right direction going to play a few more snaps this week but um we've also seen that group uh really limited at times the first you know that that trip to arizona where it looked like washington you know should win that game by a few touchdowns um turns out that arizona team and that defense specifically is a lot better than we expected but you know they they the team performance numbers against Arizona State, Stanford, uh, Utah, 
um, or we're all, you know, 73 or less in, in that Utah t- uh, postgame win expectancy number. This is according to collegefootballdata.com. Um, it's 34%. So they're going to lose that game uh, two out of three times. So the, the you know, talked about surviving advance a, a little bit ago. That's been Washington. And, and if they are able to find a way to win on the road in Corvallis, um, they're set up pretty well. If they find a way to win the Pac-12 championship and, and stay undefeated, uh, they're set up pretty well. But, man, this looks like a tough spot. And Oregon State is a different team at home. Um, they are also playing really, really well on the offensive side of the ball. They grade out roughly the same. Offensively, they're top 10 across the board in total offensive uh, or, or overall offensive team performance, passing offensive team performance, rushing offensive team performance. Um, and their defensive numbers are a little bit better. This is not, you know, the the high-end Oregon State defense that uh, we've seen a little bit over the years. Um, they've taken a little bit of a step back from last year's top 30 unit uh, where they took a, a real, real big step forward, but they're still top 40 in team performance. Um they are a little worse against the run like Washington, but not, you know, triple digits. Uh, they're 55th in, in rushing team performance. And, you know, they line up and play pretty well against the pass, top 35. So this is a, this is a tough spot. It's going to be a really, really um, loud environment. It's, you know, close uh, proximity. It's, it's one of those out-of-the-way places that that is really tough to win on a, a – you know, in a night game in the Pac-12. Um, and you've got Oregon State as a institution, you know, dealing with a uh, an outside factor that potentially adds a little more motivation to the, mm-hmm. the, the mix with all the, the goings-on with the Pac-12 uh, dissolving and the court case this past week and all that stuff. Don't know how much, you know, guys on the field are, are going to be thinking about that. But uh, the crowd probably will be on you know third and three in, in the fourth quarter a little bit. So uh, it should be a great environment. should be a great game. Uh, I buried the lead. We've got Washington favored by four points. Mm-hmm. Um, team performance number is uh, pretty heavy on, on the Washington side of things. Uh, five and a half, a little more than five and a half. And our stats only model sees it as a coin flip. So we do have Oregon State favored in that one. Um, I do think kind of similar to... You know, this game makes me think of that Bedlam game we we talked about a few weeks ago where I was like, yeah, the numbers just are on Oklahoma. But there's so many reasons to think that Oklahoma State's uh, going to be able to, to outperform that. And, and obviously they did. So this one reminds me a little bit of that. Um, but, you know, so far this Washington team has, has found a way to win week in and week out. Um, they could do it one, one more time, two more times. So, uh, we'll see, we'll see similar to Miami, you know, hopefully, uh, if, if we're being selfish, we'll come out on the the right end of the wrong team favorite here. Um, but also similar to, to just about every game we've talked about this week. Um, it seems like we're in store for a great week of football in these great games, because this one could go either way and could be decided at the last minute. Yeah, it seems like it's going to be a very fun game here, Xavier. Are you with the trendy Oregon State pick here, or are you going to stick with the Huskies? Since, like you said, 
they've been doing it by the skin of their teeth, but they're still doing it. So yeah. uh, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, give me Washington. I, I think that in this game in particular, I think too many people are focused on the fact that Washington has been skating um, and forgetting about the fact that this is still a Colorado team that on their in their own right has had to skate in in some in some previous performances. Obviously, they just got you mean Oregon team. State. You sorry, yes, Oregon State. Um, you know, I was I was talking about them playing Colorado. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> they only beat Colorado by seven. They lose to Arizona mm-hmm. by three. It's a flattering scoreline against UCLA, but. He didn't really dominate that game as much as they probably should have. Uh, enough to not get Chip Kelly fired. That, fair enough. <laughs> uh, my biggest issue with Oregon State is the fact that I'm not so sure that Oregon State has the explosiveness to continuously keep up with Washington. Now, we saw Utah be able to do it last week, and that's a team that really hasn't shown it all year. Uh, but Oregon State is kind of another situation like that, right? Where I look at Oregon State, I go, if they can control the clock, control time of possession, you know, keep the football. All right. They're going to really put Washington in a tough position. But on the same time I go three, three and outs from Oregon state might be all Washington needs to win this game. Like that's it. And I just don't know if DJ Weungle has the, the, the repertoire to, to, to go blow for blow with Michael Penix um, in this game. I think that that's, what's going to have to happen. You know, um, Oregon state has a very balanced attack. Um, they're, they're a team that when the run game gets to going, they're really hard to stop it on the flip side. If DJ's able to hit some of his downfield throws, they're really hard to, to, to prepare for. But I just think this Washington team, you know, even though that they've been sleepwalking, the things that they aren't sleepwalking in is their ability to hit the explosive plays. Like Michael Penix is still doing what he wants to do back there. He still has plenty of time in the pocket. He's making all the right decisions for the most part. And then he's making those two or three throws a game where you go, how the hell did he make that throw? And and that really is what's setting them apart offensively um, in a lot of these matchups. You know, we look at their game last week against Utah, right? They won 35-28. What people miss is that they shut out Utah in the second half, Um, you know, and, and really still performed exceptionally well in that half which makes me think that, okay, this is still a team that, you know, has a second gear, especially on the defensive side of the football. Um, we're still looking to see what they're able to do defensively since the Oregon game where we can really see them take that next step and be a real title contender. Um, but that, for me, showed a lot. I was like, all right, cool, you gave up 28 points and a half, and you gave up zero in the second against a team that, you know, just let's be honest with you, shouldn't be able to move the, the, the football against a team that we consider, you know, a, a national championship uh, at least, you know, contender and the college football playoff attendee um, possibility. So give me Washington in this game. It might be the skin of their teeth again. They might win this one 34-31, right? But at the end of the day, they have the requisite, you know, uh, offensive weapons to to keep them in ball games. And in the case that if Oregon State doesn't show up offensively, to blow them out and, and, and win ball games. So give me Washington here. As much as I would love to pick Oregon State, because obviously I was extremely high on them in the, in the offseason, um, and I think I have, in some respects, been proven right. I think DJ has just looked better in this system than he did when he was at Clemson. Uh, but I still don't think this offense is good enough to be just consistently going blow for blow with this Washington team. All right. That is it for the games that we have prepared. Nick, before we take off here, any games that you see um, that you really like the line in, you don't understand the total in, anything like that that uh, we're looking at for Week 12 here? 
Uh, so, uh, get your, your pen and paper and, and, uh, <laughs> slow me down to half speed maybe because we have a longer list than usual. And, and usually I don't like that, but, uh, these, you know, this is a scenario that's been pretty good for us this year when all three favorites line up, uh, excuse me, all three projection models line up on the favorite. Um, we are on Ohio, who is playing right now, and I actually—they were winning last time I saw. They were winning. Okay, that's that's good news. And uh, I haven't seen anything yet. I'll have to to catch back up. But um, we have them favored by double digits across the board. Uh, the line was nine and a half. We've got Pitt covering two and a half uh, later this week. Uh, don't necessarily love that, but you know we'll 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 cross our fingers. Uh, we've got Rice covering two and a half. That's one that's uh, probably dependent on JT Daniels uh, and his health. He missed last week. We did pencil him in as a starter. Um, so if he doesn't play, we're probably in a little bit of a bad spot there. But um, similarly, a most likely Riley Leonard less Duke. We have covering in all three, three and a half this week against Virginia. Uh, I kind of like the over in that game because Calandria has been getting going. True. Yeah, we are. We are a good bit over. Uh, The official line was 46 and a half. We've got 51. So, okay. Um, I just wrote that one there. I like that. Uh, North Texas, we have covering two and a half against Tulsa on the road. Uh, And then, you know, as as usual, USC, <laughs> six and a half <laughs> against UCLA, uh, Ohio State, 27 and a half against Minnesota. That one always catches my eye. I, Ohio State's pretty good in, in this spot for us. Uh, Georgia State, or excuse me, Georgia Southern uh, by six and a half against Old Dominion. We're in double digits uh, in two of the three and, and at least eight uh, in all of them. Uh the opposite of Ohio State, Wisconsin has been very bad for us in these spots, similar to USC, but we are yet again on Wisconsin, six and a half against Nebraska. Uh, and then Texas. How about that? Texas, Look at that. seven and a half. We've got double digits across the board, but it's a night game at Iowa State. That's usually a pretty tough spot. And every uh, like every Big 12 team is throwing their best at Texas, too, because they want to be the team that beat them on their way out. So it it is Texas is getting everyone's best effort. There's no like, you know, uh, they're, they're not getting a, a sleepy anybody this year in the Big 12. I'll say that. So for sure, for sure. And then uh, we do have a handful of, of wrong team favorites. We mentioned a couple of them, but the odd one, the the UCF favored by Oklahoma, uh, favored against Oklahoma this week is Houston favored against Oklahoma state, uh, which, which, uh, I, I probably feel worse about that one than I did last week, but we saw Oklahoma state really, um, kind of, you know, curl up in the, the fetal position, uh, last week against UCF. So maybe they're spiraling and maybe a not very good Houston team, uh, can find a way to get it done. Uh, we shall see, but um, my hopes aren't super high on on that one. That that Oklahoma State is going to come up short twice in a row to to these uh, new Big Twelve teams. Uh, Xavier, when you look through the Week Twelve schedule, is there a game or two that sticks out to you that you really like or don't understand the line on? Um, I'm not. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say Notre Dame. I'm, I'm just not sure offensively. This is a team that puts up. That's gonna explode for for to beat 
Wake Forest by 24 and a half. I feel like that was just a little bit too rich for me. Um, with you, with, with Chip Kelly being fired, I still think USC beats the doors off of UCLA. Um, and that's still pending. Like the rumor yeah, is, he's yeah, the rumor, yes, yeah, for sure. But I, I think in a crescendo, Chip Kelly goes out has how Chip Kelly goes out with a with a heartbreaking blowout loss to a rival in their last time playing in the Pac-12. Um, so give me USC to cover that six and a half. Um, other than that, I think, I think that or I think that Air Force UNLV total should be higher. Air Force has been one of the better offenses in college football. Um, so is that 47 and a half? I, I think like UNLV it. might have the most overs. Well, I mean, LSU actually has. The yeah, most yeah, overs, for sure. But, I was like, but they're, but they're um, definitely up there. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm thinking, maybe they're, you know what? They're nine and one against the spread. That's what I'm thinking. That's what it is. Okay. For UNLV. Yeah, nine and one against the spread to the over. They are five and five. So, okay. And then, you know, I'm just going to throw this one in here because they've been extremely, well, okay, two things before I finish. Kentucky beats the doors off of South Carolina. That That is a, a wounded duck, and it feels like Shane Beamer might be on his way. I think even Nick would take Kentucky in that game, right? Yeah, Nick? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think Shane Beamer might be on his way out. No, oh, yeah, they don't no, know. I don't think so. Actually, look, 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 we, so we have uh Kentucky favored, but by just half a point. That one's look, that one's I've real got, similar to the couple of the I've got a lot of people in and around that university. Shout out to their videography team. But got a lot well, of people around that university that's like, you know, Shane Beamer, cool guy at the beginning. Now, <laughs> not so much. Um, so that I, I'm just not sure if they feel comfortable. And I think that and I, and I say this for all SEC teams with Texas and Oklahoma coming into the conference. There's a lot of teams in the conference right now. They feel like they need to maybe make a splash at the coaching position to get themselves right faster than, you know, they, they, they can't really bide their time anymore. Because they've got two more competent teams coming in that have all, you know, have ill intent coming into the conference. Um, especially right, who else is coming in? You only said Texas and Oklahoma. Well, I mean, yeah, that is what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a joke. I'm just kidding. Mm. <laughs> that was a little big, and I don't even believe it. I think it's going to be good. <laughs> um, and then give me Georgia Tech, the cover versus Syracuse, Georgia Tech's offense. I know I sputtered over the last couple of weeks, but at one point in the ACC, which I think one of the top four teams offensively in the ACC at one point. Um, I know they sputtered recently, but I think six is just a little too low against a Syracuse team who hasn't been all that great this year. I mean, and this is just for me. Running a wildcat offense now. Yeah, and it's He's reaching. He's reaching. <laughs> um, and then this is just for me because I don't think I can take another blowout loss. But let's just say Georgia State covers over LSU. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah, uh, good luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good luck. I mean, if you say so, Xavier. <laughs> they, they lose by 28, they cover, and is Georgia State going to cost uh, Jaden Daniels the Heisman? Is oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> LSU's defense might give up enough scores for, L for, for Georgia State to cover. <laughs> mm, yeah, that is the more likely scenario. Is it make a wish weekend? I'm not sure. So uh, we'll, we'll see what's going on with that game but that is going to wrap it up for us one more week of the regular season to go yes. before we get into conference championships and the bowl season so uh stick with us for one more week you can follow us on the twitter at campus the number two canton for campus to canton at bogman sports for myself at cfb winning edge for nick and at xavier underscore trish here for xavier that is it for us and we will see you guys next week take it easy everybody mm -hmm.